Good morning. It's great to see all of you today. Let me just tell you a little bit about Trunk or Treat that's coming up. It's a real big deal. Man, you guys are looking good over there. So I got three gentlemen over here, ladies, that are looking real good. Looking real good. Okay. All right. I'll get back on track. We've got, I mean, look at all the ladies are looking over there. That's pretty cool. I like that. Um, so we got Trunk or Treat that's happening, and it is a great time. We volunteered to throw a big party for all the kids in our neighborhood here. We have about 500 kids show up. We give out 11,000 pieces of candy. We dress up. We park our cars. We lift our trunks, and we have a good time. So let me encourage you. Most of us don't want to go door to door telling people about Jesus. You know, I mean, it probably would scare the heck out of us. It would scare the heck out of me. But this is a great way to just do something kind and provide a great, safe environment for kids. So let me encourage you. Sign up to do a trunk. You can go to our guest services in the back. And all you got to do is, is bring your trunk. If you want to dress up, win a prize for the best prize, you can do that too. So we're looking forward to it, and it's going to be a great time together. So we're talking about certainty and why certainty and why the Gospel of Luke. Because we, we're in times when we've been kind of unnerved over the last three years, kind of lost some sense of confidence about a lot of things. And, and Luke lays out the life of Jesus in such a way that only a physician could lay it out. Uh, somebody that's looking for definite facts to be communicated in a certain kind of order. Now, John, when he does his gospel, it's just as reliable as Luke's, but he gets a real kind of like Jackson Pollock-ish, you know? He gets all Monet-ish, and he throws in a lot of color and, and, you know, pretty things and all this other stuff and philosophical ideas. Luke is just like, just the facts, ma'am. And he just goes right down the line telling us about the facts. And sometimes we have to return to a place of just the facts so that we can have a sense of confidence to move forward. And what I've noticed is that certainty has the ability to determine how I move in different environments and situations. When you're more certain or you have certitude, in your life, you're able to move in certain places in a different way. For instance, if you have a Jeep with a six-inch lift kit on it, and you have 35 or 37-inch tires, KO2s from BF Goodrich, you can, you can go into a space where somebody with a Camry shouldn't go. And there should be that you built that whole system under your Jeep for the purpose of going confidently in a place that normally would be scary. I think we all have places that we, we get kind of a little scared about. Um, I have a place that I don't move real well in, all right? I'm a very confident person, but there are spaces I don't do well in. And I'll tell you where it is. Um, it's high-end restaurants. I don't do good in high-end restaurants. Uh, and it's not because I'm like, you know, I drool a lot or anything like that. It's, I may open with my, I eat with my mouth open a little too much, but, you know, I tend to not, I, to be decent, but you have to get all dressed up, okay? So that's one thing. And then there's the valet parking. It's like, am I supposed to pay you now? Am I supposed to, am I supposed to tip them now? And then I'm that guy's like, and I'll park it myself, and I'll park on the street and save five bucks. It's like, that's not how you go to a high-end restaurant, you know, trying to save money. Then you get to your table, and your server comes, and uh, this person's got maybe a napkin. Oh, no, they put the napkin on your lap. Oh, that's freaky. You know, I mean, you're just sitting there and they're putting something on your lap and you're like, hey, now. You know, it's like, 
I'm here for dinner. You know, it's just kind of like, what, what is going on here? This is not a space I'm very comfortable about. And then they'll stand back and they'll say, um, can I interest you in a wine? <laughs> I'm sorry, because if you're me, you're not looking for a wine you like. You're just looking for one you can pronounce. You know, I can't, that's why I always go to a restaurant. If I'm going to order a wine, it will be red. Bring me a red. Why? I can say red real easy. I know there's a wine that is red, but if you have to get me into this, uh, whatever it is, or Pinot or Pini or whatever it is, I, I, I get all messed up. Then, if it's not enough and my anxiety is not already causing me to shake, they bring you a glass and they pour the wine in front of you. Now, where I'm from, when you get something in a glass, you just drink it. But no, you're supposed to take the glass and you're supposed to swish it. So I, I, I'll try to do it and I'll be looking at the guys like, just looking at you. And I'm like, I'm supposed to be doing something with this glass. So I'll like do this and then I'll like smell it and and they still look at me and I'll blow bubbles in it or something like that. It's like, it's got a nice bouquet, you know? Look at it, it bubbles up real well, you know? And am I supposed to try? And then I'm supposed to go, oh, this is good. It's been aged perfectly five years. That's just wonderful. What a great wine. And you're just like, oh, this is perfect. I have no idea if it's perfect or not. I mean, you could have bought Matus from the 7-Eleven and gotten the same reaction out of me. Then they bring you the tree cheese tray, and you got to make sure you pair your wines rightly with that, because they're not cheese trays anymore, are they? No, it's charcuterie. Um, hey, what happened to America? Don't we cook in America? When do, when do we stop calling food by American names? And let me just tell you, folks, pancetta is bacon. I don't care what you think it is. I don't care where they slice it from the butt of a, of a pig. A butt of a pig is a butt of a pig as far as I'm concerned. But we get all into these words and all these things and it just, oh, and that's not enough. They're going to bring out some bubbly, or, you know, brought you a champagne to the table. Now, in the old days, we used to pop the cork on that thing, right? Now they got some college kids coming out with the, with the sword of Isildur from Lord of the Rings and they chop the neck of that thing as if, you know, I'm like, what is going on here? So in places like that, I, well, I don't go to places like that. Like you have to take me to a restaurant. And unless you or my mom are going to order for me, I'm going to be incredibly uncomfortable in that space because I just can't move with certainty. I don't know what to do. You know, another thing, and uh, this all will make perfect sense in the end, but... Uh, one of the greatest presents I've ever bought my wife. She hated the moment I gave her. It was a Christmas about three years ago. And it was one of the times in 35 years that she's opened up a present and was like, really? My wife is an amazingly grateful human being. But I have never seen her look at me bewildered like, are you out of your mind with this? I mean, so much so here we're having this awkward conversation with the grandkids around, you know? It's like, we love Jesus. You got me this, you know, kind of situation. Uh, but now, three years later, she emphatically says it's the greatest present I ever bought her. And she wants more. No, it was not diamonds. No, it wasn't subway tile for the kitchen. Um, it was this. It is the robotic vacuum, the iRobot, the Eufy, whatever brand you got, 
This was, I mean, you could probably see why she was maybe taken aback a little bit on Christmas when all of a sudden getting this when she hadn't asked for it. But then she discovered that it's amazing. These things are incredible if you don't have one. Now, the earlier models were good, but they had a problem. They had no mapping system. So they just functioned by just bumping into everything, bumping into everything. Every piece of furniture you got, you know, if you had a stairs in your house, all of a sudden Yuffie's taken the plunge, it's fallen off. If you have a dog bowl, it's nose down in the dog bowl. If, it, if you have a couch, it's getting impinged underneath it and it's just sitting there, just spinning its wheels. But then they came out with mapping systems. And what the mapping system does, it's got like some infrared sensor and it just kind of like, kind of scans your room. You open it up out of the box, you send it into your house and it begins to scan where all your furniture is, where your uh, you know, um, couches, where your chairs are, where the TV's at, what kind of thickness of the carpets are in certain locations. And it produces this map so that it can more efficiently move about the room. So it doesn't have to bump into so many things so that its battery life is extended and so that it can get the things done that it needs to get done and not get blocked or get pinned down. See, it produces a map of certainty. It maps out its environment and then has a certain picture of what the environment is like and then moves confidently in that environment. So today we're gonna be seeing how being more certain about your relationship with God, your relationship with Christ, begins to give you the ability to move in spaces better. I mean, in marriage, are you always bumping up against each other? In relationships, are you always colliding with things? Are you, are you getting impinged in certain areas of your life where, or you're just running out of battery life? But as a result of growing certain with God, certain with Christ, it gives us the ability to, to move through the things that we need to do more efficiently and more effectively. So Luke is going to give us three stories, three beautiful stories. They all come out of the exact same chapter. Whenever you have three stories that repeat the same thing, you know this is what God wants to talk to you about. And so he's going to give us stories about the confidence that comes from certainty, that when you have certainty in your life, that you are able to move about the room more confidently. And we're going to learn about three things. One of these stories is going to be about who you are. Are you certain about who you are in Christ? And are, are, you, are you able to move about your life certain about you? Are you certain about what Jesus can do? And we're going to learn about that story about being certain in what Christ can do in your life. And then the third, and I think it's going to be really important, is the one about how to get certainty back. Just in case you're part of the crowd of Christians today that have lost a sense of certainty about God, not as confident about God. So I love this first one. This woman is about to move into a space that is with extreme confidence in Jesus. And when I say extreme, I mean extreme. Let me paint to you what this room is like. It's kind of like her Roomba going into a, a room here. Let me just tell you how many obstacles she has in her way as she begins to try to move through this room. The room will be filled with judgment and condemnation. 
um, the room will be filled with exclusion. There's only certain people that are supposed to be in this room, and all of them have a profession of discerning or making judgments about other people. That's all they do. And then, here's the thing. This room is filled with people who disagree philosophically with each other. But they are in total agreement about this woman. Have you ever been in a crowd where, you know, you, you disagree with one person, but then another person comes in and both of you can be in agreement that you disagree with the third person? Well, this woman is the third person. Everybody in this room, they may disagree about other things, but they are certain that this woman and who she is and that she should not be there. And then add to all of it, if that's not intimidating enough, is that she's not invited to be in this room. Nobody said, hey, why don't you come on over to my house? We're doing chicken, you know, or, or a pancetta, you know? And it's like, you know, come on over to the house. But no, nobody's invited this woman at all to the house. So just imagine this is you, and you know all this before you enter into the room uninvited. Then why would you go in? What would compel you to do that? I mean, have we all not had that awkward? We're not the one that was actually invited to the party. We're the ones that went with the person that was invited to the party. And that your presence has to be explained. Oh, yeah, this is my cousin. This is my boyfriend. This is my, you know, and nobody knows you at the party. And you weren't invited to the party. I hate those rooms. I don't go to those rooms. And here's this woman going into it. What would you have to be sure about in that room? What is in your head and what must you be telling yourself that you would go into this kind of environment? Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him, very formal. See, you can already tell how hostile this is. This isn't Zacchaeus, come on over to my house, we're gonna have a barbecue. It's like one of the Pharisees sent a memo, Jesus, um, come to my house. We're going to talk to you about your stuff. So requesting Jesus to dine with them, he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume and standing behind him at his feet. It's like, whoa, did we miss something here? Did we miss the knock at the door? Did we miss the walk through the foyer? Do we miss, and because you know why that wasn't described? Because it wasn't in the way. She was moving too fast. I'm not waiting to be invited. I don't give a flip about what they think or what he thinks or what they're talking about. I am going, and she goes beeline right to Jesus. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, hmm, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is and who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have a, something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors, one owed five hundred denarii, the other just 50. When they were unable to pay, he graciously forgave them both. So which one do you think will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one who forgave more, he forgave more. 
And Jesus said, you have judged correctly. Now turning towards the woman, Jesus said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you, you gave me no water for my feet, but she wept my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with, with perfume. For this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, we're all certain about that, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, she knew the power of forgiveness that Jesus could give. And she moved with certainty towards it. She knew that she could go to him and get forgiveness. That's why he says, your faith has saved you. It's not a works gospel that if you work hard enough, it's like, no, your certainty and then your action in certainty towards me, it, it will save you every time. No matter what kind of room you're in, moving in confidence in the forgiveness and the love of God will always save you. It will always give you strength. It will always give you confidence. And this certainty overrided bias in that room. It overrode gossip in that room. It overrode um, reputation. And it also overrode the self-hate she probably had in her head. Do you have that kind of certainty about Jesus? That it can, I mean, because... I mean, high-class restaurant's one thing, but can you even move around in your own head safely? You know, what are your thoughts about you? What do you think about you? For, for some of us, we're terrified to move in outer spaces because the inner space we have no confidence in. See, this certainty mapped out a new future for her. But the Pharisee, it's interesting. He's the smartest guy in the room, but he wasn't, he wasn't certain about anything. Except the woman's sin. You know, he was only confident about what's wrong with you. Otherwise, he didn't know anything, for sure. Jesus pointed it out. No kiss, no washing, no oil, anointing. These were all expressions of certain certitude. But you did not use them. Because this guy wasn't certain about who Jesus was. He also said, if this man was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman. Apparently, he doesn't know Jesus. He said, who is this man that he could forgive sins? Apparently, he doesn't know Jesus. Well, let me ask you, do you know that Jesus can forgive sins? That they can be washed away? That you can walk shamelessly into any and every room? It doesn't matter where you were raised, who you were raised by, what you've done wrong. This woman didn't let that whispering, whether in her head or from the sideline, stop her. She made a beeline right to Jesus. She was certain about Jesus. Wow, wouldn't it be incredible if we were more certain about Jesus than we were about our own failures? But, it, but we just have this predilection to always be really certain on how we fail. But there is something even more certain, more eternal, more 
concrete than our failures. And that's the forgiveness of God. And this woman got a hold of it. This woman entered the space with confidence in the power and the love of Jesus. The space of shame is remapped with dignity and love. Wow. Is there a space you lack confidence in? You're not very confident about your marriage or moving in that space, friendships. Are you still bumping into old mistakes, old furniture that remind you of how you failed and you're not able to move anymore because you get paralyzed, you get pinched under the couch of shame and you just, and, and you just spin your, bat, your wheels and your battery runs out and all of a sudden it goes to your phone and it's like, uh, Roomba is out of, out of battery or it's pinched underneath the couch and it sends this little message to it. But you know, for some of us, we believe in Jesus, but we don't move in confidence. Our head space is still telling us, yeah, God can't do anything with, with you. You're a loser. You failed. You've been married three times. You have a problem with alcohol, drugs, temper, whatever it may be. It's like, you can't be used. And it's like, no, God wants to remap your head space. First John 1, 7 has always spoken to me. With all my failures that I've made, a ton of them, I mean, a ton of them, I mean, I'm one of the only pastors in this city that's been divorced and remarried. That's like taboo, let alone drugs. You know, I mean, don't even get me started. I wrote the 70s, okay? I didn't live them, I wrote them. I was in the middle of all that stuff and I was messed up, been messed up for a long time. But why am I up here? Because I am confident of this very thing. I know without a doubt that I am forgiven of all my sins. Of every failure that I've ever performed or committed, I know that I am loved of God. This was the verse at a young age that got into my soul. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, yeah, you're just fooling yourself. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. I don't know, that should make you powerful. You should be able to walk into a room instead of sullen and, and you know, kind of just looking down, not making eye contact with people and, and it's kind of like, no, wait a minute. I have a right to be here. I'm created in the image of God. I'm forgiven by the love of God. And what God has called clean, let no man call unclean. And boom, I'm here. To walk in the light of his love, knowing that who we are in Christ. The second story is about certainty, but certain about what Jesus can do in your life. First one's about who I am. Second one was what he can do in your life. And it's interesting, this certitude is found in a man from Rome, a Roman soldier. And Jesus is gonna be blown away. I mean, like, can you imagine you're sitting up on the throne? I mean, you're up there near the throne and, and God's like watching a man's life and all of a sudden this guy does something so confident in God that God's up there going, mind blown. I am blown away by this man's confidence. But it's not his confidence in him, himself, but I want you to see what it, what it is. 
And the centurion slave who was highly regarded by, by him was sick and about to die. And when he heard about Jesus, he sent some of the Jewish elders asking them to come and for Jesus to come and save the life of his slave. And when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him saying, he is worthy for you to grant this to him for he loves our nation and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started off with, with them and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying, uh, saying to Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself any further. For I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. See, he's got some headspace that needs to get worked out. Okay, the woman had this worked out. This guy didn't have this worked out. But this guy's got a different kind of certitude worked out. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. I say to this one, go. And he goes into another, come. And he comes into my slave, do this, and he does it. Now, when Jesus heard this, his mind was blown. He marveled at him. And he turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel, where People should be certain about God. I added that. Have I found such great faith? And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. See, this guy connects the dots. If Jesus is who he says he is, then all Jesus has to do is say it. So all I have to do is ask. It's like, hey, I know Jesus can do it. I just need to ask Jesus, to get involved in my situation that seems to be hopeless. Paul said it this way, in Philippians 1.6, for I am confident, I have certitude of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's not like you get a marriage to a point when you all of a sudden say, well, God can't fix this. Or you get into a situation, well, God will not heal this or God will not help me in this parenting situation and you just give up on it. This guy was like, no, all I gotta do is go to Jesus and I believe Jesus can do anything in this situation. And Paul said, I am confident of this very thing that, that if I invite God into this, he'll do a good thing and will work on doing that good thing until the day of Christ Jesus. This man knew that Jesus was interested in his space, and so that space was changed. The space of impossibility is remapped with possibility. And maybe that space also is in your head, that you've just resigned yourself that this is the way it's going to be. You know, that you're always gonna hurt, you're always gonna be sad, you're always gonna be addicted, you're always gonna be a failure, it'll never work out, You'll never have it fixed. It'll never, and, and, and God wants you to begin to step out with, with certainty in your life, with confidence, to, to invite him into spaces you didn't invite him in before, and then to be confident that he'll do a good work in that space. It, is there a space that you don't think will ever change? Could God change America? Yeah, I'll tell you how he'll change America if he gets brought into that space. Is there a marriage beyond repair? If these two people, whoever they are, will bring Jesus into that space, 
There is not a marriage that is beyond repair. This man brought Jesus into his space and was confident that Jesus could change that space. Now we go into our third story, my favorite story, because this is more like, this is where I live. Luke's third story about certainty is a man who lost it and how he got it back. Because I think if we're all honest, we have moments where we do lose it. Sure, we put on a good game face on Sunday morning, but you know, it doesn't take too many Mondays and too many Fridays before we're kind of exposed. Even the greatest men and women of faith have moments when the darkest of rooms keeps them from figuring their way out, where they just can't get out of the room. It's one of those times when things don't work out the way that you thought they would work out. And that happens a lot. It happens more often than not. It's one of those times when you've tried every situation to get out of the room and you just aren't getting out of the room. And, and all of us end up in a room, and I know you hate to hear this, but every one of us will end up in a room we don't get out of, okay? You don't have to wait to be 63 to figure out. There will be one day a room that you won't be able to get out of. Our lives are all, you know, we live, and then we all enter that room. And do we enter that room with certitude? Has it been remapped by the resurrection of Christ in our lives? Or are we stuck in that room? Don't mean to get morbid there. We, we need to have our eyes wide open. There are some times when we get into, we get diagnoses that don't go away. When the spouse leaves and doesn't come back. When we struggle with things that we wish, like depression that would, we wish it would go away and we've done everything. There are some times we find ourselves in rooms where it's dark. John the Baptist found himself in such a space. He was used by God. If you remember, he was kind of from, a, from a child, his mother. It was a miraculous birth. And I mean, this kid was marked for success. He'd been used by God to prepare Israel for the coming of the Messiah. Kind of, I mean, his life is actually foretold in the scriptures. And then he accomplishes all of it. He does a great job. He's awesome. He preaches the gospel and prepares the way of Jesus to come. And he prepares the heart of Israel for that moment. But he doesn't work out like he thought it would. You know, you'd think you serve God, you know, and it's like, hey, you know, been a pastor all your life and you serve God. And, you know, now it's time for you to just walk in the blessings of God and retire and get the house and just hang out with the grandkids. And I don't think John the Baptist was any different that he was like, hey, I did the right thing. I served God in my generation. All the rooms I'm going to walk into from now on, you know, are just going to be good rooms. And all of a sudden, John finds himself in a room he's never been in before. And it looks like a room he's not coming out of. So with many other exhortations, Luke tells us, John preached the gospel to the people. But when Herod, the tetrat, was... was reprimanded by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife. He was sleeping with his brother's wife, really weird kind of stuff there. 
And because of all the wicked things which Herod had done, Herod added one more wicked thing to them, and he locked up John in prison. So John's sitting in prison. Didn't think that's where it was going to go for him. So it must have gotten enough time went by. And you know, you've been in that room before where enough time goes by, you wonder if God really cares about you. Does he really care about my marriage? Does he really care about my family? I mean, we've all been in rooms like that for a little time where it's like, it's so dark. It's like, okay, does anybody really care? And John got that feeling too. Summoning two of his disciples, John, while in prison, sent them to the Lord saying, hey, um, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? Have you ever looked, at, looked for someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? And I, I love Jesus so much more from this story. So at that time, he cured many people of diseases. It's kind of like, okay, bring, all right, what did John ask? Okay, I'll get right back to you guys. I'll bring that blind guy over here, boom. Okay, bring that leper over here, boom, 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 boom. Bring that demonic guy, you know, boom, taken care of. He does all this right in front of these guys. And then he answered and said to them, okay, guys, now go back and report to John what you have seen and heard, that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and that the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who does not take offense at me. I love this. See, he doesn't berate John because he's having this moment of darkness. God doesn't want to beat you up for your dark moment. And you think, well, if I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be in a dark moment. I don't know where you got that from. John is doing his best not to be offended by God. And maybe that's where you are right now. John's kind of like, I really don't want to be offended. And Jesus is like, blessed is the man who does not get offended by me. It's like when you add this up and you think it should come out to this, but life is adding up this way and it comes to this. But John is like, he has not seen an answer, a question that Jesus isn't the answer for. So he's got one glimmer of hope left. It's like, listen, are you the one? So Jesus does a few miracles in front of the disciples, sends them back with an answer that is rooted in biblical expectation. Now, this is big. I mean, this just blows my mind that this is in here. Jesus quotes the book of Isaiah and performs its fulfillment. So I... If you notice up there, you see how those words are, are capitalized because they are direct quotes from the book of Isaiah. And Jesus says, go back and tell them, tell them this. See, this is a song that John recognizes. It, it, my kids know what music I like. If you were to ask Deanna, Morgan, or Dawn what my favorite song from would be, they would probably say it's either from the Cars or from Boston, the band Boston. They know what the size. If we were to hop in the car and they wanted to connect with me, they would want to touch something that's like goes beyond pop, it goes into the soul of who I am. 
they would, they would put on more than a feeling by Boston. And we would smile and we'd look at each other and we'd turn it up to 11. I mean, it would be loud in the car. You see, Jesus, earlier in John's ministry, he was asked by the authorities who he was. Are you the Christ? It's crazy that John, earlier in his ministry, has a couple guys come to him and say, who are you? Should we expect another? And so, so uh, when they ask him, listen to what John says. So they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? And he said, no, I'm not him. Are you the prophet? He said, no. And they said to him, who are you then? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Then all of a sudden, he says, quoting out of the book of Isaiah, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. See, John answered the question of, of, to those who were sent to him with the song of Isaiah. When Jesus answers John's disciples that were sent to him, he sends them back with a song from Isaiah. And there's John sitting in prison and he all of a sudden hears more than a feeling start up. And he remembers that song. It's like Jesus just quoted me back Isaiah when I was quoting them Isaiah. Because Jesus knows the ancient song that is in the heart of John. And he sings it to John. He starts humming a few bars. And then John is like, more than a feeling. Dun, 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 and, 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 and I don't know about you, but that Jesus would be so cool to know the song of your soul that he could speak into it and revive that song is so amazing to me that he knew John and he knew that this was where John got his vision from and he knew that John lost his vision and Jesus goes back and uses the exact same song to stir that vision up in it. And I can only imagine John just smiling and laughing. It's like, he still knows me. Yeah, he's the one. He's the one. You see, John needed, just like you and me, to be reminded from the word of God. And I know you may be thinking, if you're a skeptic here, well, I would believe too if a couple of miracles were done in front of me. You know, do a couple of miracles in front of me, Jesus, and, and I would believe, right? Yeah, well, guess what? John didn't see the miracles. John didn't witness them. Remember the, the, test, the two guys who brought the testimony. So it doesn't matter if there's a 2,000 years between the testimony or two hours between the testimony. John is still believing only in the testimony and the reliability of the testimony. And the guys came back, oh, you just seemed, it was like, ah, ah, and then he did this, ah, it's great. And then, and then all this other stuff. And John's like, okay, I believe you guys. You see, it doesn't matter that it happened 2,000 years ago. The testimonies are still the eyewitness testimonies. It's still the two guys, but they're talking to us now. The blind had their eyes open, the deaf began to hear, the lame began to walk, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. God wants to revive the ancient song in your soul. 
And if you've lost it, Jesus wants to hum a few bars so that your hope comes back, so that your confidence comes back. He wants to restore it in your life. John knew that if there was a tough question, Jesus was always going to be the answer to it. John went to the right place. Are you going to the right place to get your answer? Because the room went dark doesn't mean that you should leave Jesus. John's confidence was restored in that dark room. A short time later, John's head was cut off. You know, I, you say, wow, that sucks. Well, don't worry. Your head's not going to be cut off. But I don't mean to be morose, but your head's coming off. It will all come to an end. But John goes to the grave. He's got his AirPods on, and he's jamming the more than a feeling. Gets down, he put his head down. And if you were to take those earbuds off, you would, you would have heard the song of Isaiah being sung. And John loses his head with complete certainty in Jesus. He faced death with certainty, a space that has been remapped by Jesus. It's totally been remapped. We don't just die and go into the grave and then our parts fall apart and we turn to dust. Maybe for some, for those who, who die in faith with Christ, rise again to new life. God remaps even death itself. So when that room gets dark, and I don't want to be in that room, but I will be in that room. But it doesn't have to be death. It can be a failing marriage. It can be a financial disaster. It can be an MRI report. But God wants to sing hope into your life, no matter where you are. He wants to restore certainty into your spaces. And, and all I can say to you is that do not underestimate the power of the testimony of the Gospels of Jesus. I read a lot, I guess. Yeah, I guess I do. Um, uh, I like science. I read the latest discoveries of science and all the time. But you know, when I read them, I don't all of a sudden look at death and face it and go, ah, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. No, 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 no I just, you read some facts. I, I watch Star Wars and I don't walk away from Star Wars like, yeah, man, now I want to love my wife. You know, I don't. I don't look at Lord of the Rings and come back and want to love my neighbor. You know, I tend to look at them as orcs, you know, or not my neighbors particularly, but you know what I'm saying. But there's something about when I read the Gospels, I'm going to just say this word. I know you don't like it. It's like magic. I can't explain it. Why is it when I read about Jesus and I read these stories that all of a sudden I want to be a better person? No other book does that to me. Why is it that all of a sudden hope rises up in me? It's like, why is it that these testimonies have this effect when all other things are just facts? This word seems to be life. If you have lost certainty, if you've lost confidence to move in the rooms that you're living in right now, I'm telling you, you cannot afford to not read 
the gospels of Christ. You cannot afford to. You need those two testimonies coming to you every day and speaking what Jesus has done and, and allowing that ancient song to be restored in your soul, to have your life remapped. So as we move into expressions, God wants your story remapped and filled with certainty. Certainty about who you are. I mean, God really wants you to be, he wants you to really believe that it's, it's no longer you, but Christ who lives within you. You are seated with Christ in the heavenlies, that you're a saint of God, that you're beloved of God, chosen of God, elect of God, that you sit with Christ in the heavenlies, that you're more than a conqueror through Christ who strengthened you. He wants that to just ooze out of you. He wants you to be certain about what Jesus will do. That there is no event in life, there's no experience, there's no challenge, that God will not make all things to work together for good for you in your life, to those who are called according to his purposes. And that includes the darkest of all dark rooms. I want you to have certainty about who you can trust when you lose your certainty. He wants you to be certain that God welcomes you back and that God will sing the song that will stir and restore your soul. God wants us to move into new spaces, to move in forgiveness, to let him be the glory and the lifter of your head. Stop looking down and moving in shame, but to move shamelessly, to move confidently, to move with assurance that he who has called you can perfect you and that he who perfects you will glorify you in the day of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, there isn't a space you move in that won't be changed by that kind of certitude that God wants every one of us to have. So today, you're gonna come up and there's gonna be a little packet, sorry, a little packet, move beyond it, its structure, open it up, take the bread and the cup. This is a song being sung to your soul. I gave my life for you so that you may have new life. I died and rose so that you can be alive to me. This is not just bread and a cup. This is an ancient song that some of us have forgotten. And God wants to stir it up again within you. So today, communion is God humming a few bars. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for not berating us, talking to us like we're idiots, utter failures. God, thank you for letting us boldly come to the throne of grace, moving confidently with certitude because mercy will be given to us every single time. So Father God, today we draw near to you because you have already drawn near to us. And as we take this cup and eat this bread, 
we remember the song that you have in your heart for us. I love you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And I have prepared a place for you that where I am, you too shall be in love forever. 